Welcome, this is the Synth DIY podcast. Before we get started, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has watched, commented and liked the podcast we've had so far. And as a side note, this is episode 20, which is really exciting for me. I hadn't really imagined that we would get to 20 when I first started these, so it's great to get to you know the second big number. I'd really appreciate it if you'd give this episode a like and consider subscribing as it helps to grow the show. I'm here today with Linus from Modulove. Hi Linus, can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hey Gareth, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Linus from Hamburg in Germany and um, I'm a synth DIY guy and love to think of electronics um, as a profession. I, I'm an IT specialist and um, yeah, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. No, that's cool. I think we've had quite a few IT specialists on the podcast so far. I don't know what it is, but there's something about working in IT that seems to lend very much to Synth DIY. Do you find any kind of factors from your day job that kind of lend to Synth DIY in your experience? Sure. Um, having an idea of uh, tech and um, code, especially if you're browsing GitHub for inspiration and um, you at some stage, if you are into music, electronic music as I am, um, stumble upon Eurorack and there's quite uh, a lot out there in the community and that's uh, really appealing to me. That's why i um, really quite passionate about the DIY community. Yeah, certainly something about the GitHub kind of mentality with the open source people. Do you lend from that kind of mentality with your Modulov project? Sure. We um, like to say we um, like to be in the Eurorack space that is open and collaborative. So um, there are a lot of very friendly people out there just sharing uh, things and making it uh, quite easy, I think, to uh, jump in for people like me that uh, I'm not too much into electronics, I must say. I am fascinated by it, but I, I can't do too much on the breadboard. So the code side of things and um, Arduino stuff uh, and... Uh, the sharing community on GitHub is the thing that uh, draws drawn me has drawn me in, and um, that's uh, what Modulove is doing. Basically, it's leaning on the open community and uh, pushing things further uh, and sharing sharing again. I don't know about you, but my first ever experience with this concept of open source was through the Linux operating system which um, your namesake, um, Linus Torvalds, created. And, and actually, ironically, he's switched his focus from the Linux operating system into GitHub, where the open source community seems to be basing itself around. Yeah, I've just discussed this with my brother and told him about it. Um, it's quite fascinating to um, have the guy with the same name um, in the mid-80s uh, publishing the things. And that is, of course, the source where I went to and had a friend. Um, and his father was on the university in Hamburg and did networking back then, like in the 90s. And so I stumbled upon like 
Linux and the friend was always compiling his own kernel and I was more like into using Ubuntu and um, then going deeper down the rabbit hole. How, how important do you think um, this GitHub tool is to the Synth DIY community and open source in general? It is really an essential platform. Um, um, and as I said, I browse GitHub sometimes or follow a few people and stumble upon things they have stumbled upon. And um, it is really essential for people to make it really easy to publish their code and um, get in touch with other makers. And um, there are quite a few projects that uh, seemed like they were abandoned, but at some stage someone picks it up makes a fork and it gets to life again. And uh, that's really a fundamental thing like uh, Mutable Instruments, uh, Emile has uh, done the, the masterpiece of it, like sharing with all the downside um, uh, that come with sharing all the stuff and providing good support, um, feeding the community and inspiring a whole, inspiring the, a whole um, generation of uh, module builders. Uh, I might say so. Oh, 100%. I think that you're exactly right. This kind of change in the mindset, which seems to be occurring from people producing things in a kind of closed source mindset where they are producing a product which only they know the uh, intellectual property about um, and are trying to... I understand that kind of mentality entirely, but there seems to be something special that is coming from this additional mindset of being completely open about your ideas and allowing other people to be involved. Sure. Um, I think um, the products, like for example, for the modular things, or I call it like the Hagivo tribe, Hagivo is a guy from Japan who... Um, in the Corona crisis, sat down and uh, learned how to write code for his own um, Eurorack modules, and he uh, pushed out the, the firmware, and uh, others jumped on the train. And um, I think it's it's amazing to have this um, kind of openness um, rekindled these days. Um, and the, the modules are actually not that complicated, so um, it's a big bonus to be, make it open. You have a, a bigger reach and you um, get to the people, the real nerds that are into Eurorack and that is typically the um, hardcore nerd IT guy, programmer or such. Um, I think that uh, speaks for it. It's a whole... Um, it's a circle it's a life circle so um, quite like it yeah because i don't know if you agree but in the beginning when people talk about um if they you know announce that they were a Eurorack module designer for example you would immediately associate that with a high level of complexity with electronic analog circuits but now thanks to people like Hagiwo. Um, producing designs which are more in the software realm with minimal analog circuitry it has basically 
allowed people from more of a software background to become involved with analog like circuits and develop them yeah that uh, hagivo did it on purpose to make uh, use of arduino nano microcontrollers because they are so cheap and available everywhere almost everyone has one laying around and um so he could uh, save a few components and the modules are very basic to make and uh, i think it's like uh, ornament and crime community or europi community um the hardware was provided and there were the nerds that jumped in and wrote uh, beautiful f- uh, firmware for it and that's what i'm seeing as well so um it's quite um quite a cool thing uh, we have a guy from uh America, I think from Detroit he is, and um, Adam, he's called, he's also in the Europi community, and he jumped in and was, we, we had a talk, a short conversation, met on the internet, and um, he like wrote almost overnight like uh, a handful of additional firmware versions for the LFO hardware we have, and since then it's like... Um, the idea came to life and that was what I was hoping for, that someone with actually real coding skills, <laughs> not like myself, like a little bit um, and a little bit uh, chat GPT these days, um, uh, writes actually code and that is really uh, 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 the good thing. I, I was hoping for this and now it's happening and um, almost every day um, someone asks a question and or jumps into the community um, wanting to do uh, his idea and i quite like this um, approach i think this is um, a really good impact on the community to get forward we will have uh, better and better hardware for these projects there's going to be a revision too from from the europe and so on and um, if you have the cool firmware, um, that is really where the magic happens. So you know Nance? Yeah, that's what I do know, yeah. I, I always wanted one Nance, didn't came around it yet. I quite like the Raspberry Pi, but um, there are a few scripts that um, are really appealing to me, and I, I dig the generative stuff, really. So there's lots to explore still, and... Even what you can make out of um, the simple Hagivo module in terms of um, firmware is amazing. I had uh, played in a little gig with Sasha a few weeks ago, and I, as an experiment, I drove like two to three different firmware versions for the LFO and um, put it in my mini case and had an oscillator as well, and it really was all I needed. <laughs> Quite nice. That's amazing. So what what you're actually seeing is you're tackling this kind of from the software layer down. You're using um, GitHub as a tool to browse available projects, seeing what's out there. And I guess that's how you stumbled across the Hagiwo um, projects directly through GitHub. Is, um, is that correct? Um, Hagiwo stuff is not really on uh, GitHub yet. He didn't make that step stuff. He uh, publishes his articles on a platform is called Note.com, and also the videos. That was uh, what I was seeing. Um, I come kind of uh, from an Arduino background, um, 
back in the days, like <laughs> 10 years ago or 15 years ago even, when the, I call it the maker revolution uh, took place. We were the first time enabled to do very, um, the ideas we had in mind with electronics, we could make them work because it was not so complicated to write a few lines of code or you could Google search for Arduino stuff and get your head around it. It was quite a low entry barrier. And um, that was actually when I started with the Eurojack rack journey, um, even before Mutable Instruments was <laughs> had all this stuff out. And I was able to build a step sequencer that was like a plexiglass sheet with a few holes and LEDs and an Arduino brain. And so I could make it like, I didn't finish it. Um, the endeavor was over then for 10 years. I put the Eurorack aside uh, sometime. And, but it was quite uh, a nice entry and I totally forgot about it until I, um, yeah, found myself in the crisis, um, quite depressed about the development and thought about, okay, what, where do I take inspiration from? What what is the thing I want to do next? That's great. I know we talked before this podcast, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting to hear was, you know, like how how you first got into music and synthesizers back, you know, in your earlier formative years. Um, I think that part of the story kind of really adds to, you know, where we've just jumped in there um, at the point when you've kind of seen the first instance of the true micro computers at an affordable price. Um, let's let's go back to, um, you know, your early days when we talk about how you first came across synthesizers and electronic music. Yeah, it was quite like in, um, <laughs> I, I, when my sister became the first like Pentium machine in the house that was able to, uh, that had enough, uh, for, before it was uh, not powerful enough to run like create software. And, um, when we had this Pentium 132 megahertz thingy in the house, um, uh, I could run, um, rebirth. And uh, I was interested in electronic music already, doing some DJing, house music was my thing. My brother uh, played trance music and um, I was a trainee back then, so I was quite young. And um, I started fiddling with Rebirth and uh, it immediately um, took me in. Um, I really uh, sank in deep and so I uh, started uh, a little... Um, studio with my brother in the attic. He was also always doing the hip hop side of things and uh, then came software like software samplers and he did with a lot of his friends uh, do the hip hop thing and record and uh, rap things and I was also always on the electronic side of things and had uh, I think two computers back then and jumped into Linux because uh, machines were not that powerful but I wanted to have a network and a file server and so on. And um, in these days, I uh, went to parties, to open-air parties, and uh, found myself always um, interested in how the sounds are made. And uh, I was quite like, oh, I like this filter suite. What filter might it be? And so on. So that stuck with me. I 
uh, was into electronic music then, but uh, I did some um, mixing for my brother uh, on his events on the Reeperbahn um, on Wednesdays, always, uh, every week he made like an open mic session, and so I kept doing audio things, and um, <clears throat> and then I got into computer, and um, when I was a trainee, the company um, got bankrupt when I finished, so I had the opportunity to sit down in my uh, parents' house, and um, my father was actually the guy who always brought in new hardware from his company that we could use and um, he also had a little um, workshop in the basement where he had like he taught me how to um, assemble like an amplifier for my DJ thingy then and uh, he, a few days before a few years before he actually um, got me into DJing with providing a cassette DJ uh, thingy and um, so uh, the whole thing got further and further, and um, I had a little home studio back then when I moved from home um, and uh, got into Eurorack. I bought my first modules and built a little step sequencer, and um, then actually I um, met my wife, and we moved, and I started the family thing, so I omitted the whole home studio thingy and Eurorack thingy back then and um, just jumped back in when um, I was I was running a company with my brother um, that didn't make it through the crisis and we had this office space here and um, in the attempt to save the company I had quite a struggle, worked a lot and um, I had a friend come by and he said like Ah, I know this other guy. You should meet him. And so Sasha came in and we met here and figured out that we have somehow avoided to jump in Eurek, but we had a deep fascination of it. And uh, Sasha, as a musician from both of us, from of us, um, pushes the Eurek thing even further than I could. My thing is more like, um, I like uh, generative stuff. I like to teach the machines how to play the music for me and so on. And um, since then we pushed each other further with the whole thing. And yeah, we find ourselves now, it's amazing when I look back, like um, there are so much things that happened in the short time. So that I, I'm quite um, unpatient. So I, I'm pushing, pushing, pushing things usually. Um, and Sasha uh, tells me then that okay, it's en enormous what we have uh, achieved in so little time. But um, I quite quite like the progress we made, and uh, that's what I'm really proud of. Um, from the past two years, it's um, not not really one module or one CD I made, software or such. Um, it's more like the whole thing that we are running now, the community thingy. Oh, yeah, I totally resonate with a lot of the details of your story. I think that, you know, for me personally, it's almost like listening to like a parallel universe of my own experience. Um, 
you know, with my brothers making music with Rebirth, um, when you're talking about, you know, your first use of Rebirth, I'm literally taken to that exact memory with my brother, uh, my brother Alistair, he was much more musically talented than me and he would um he would be using rebirth and i was like oh what's this you're doing you know like intrigued and um, and of course you know you see these software implementations of classic hardware synths that you you know you might have heard the sounds but you weren't necessarily aware of the you know the specifics around 808 909 303 you might have known about but um you know, for me, this is my experience. And to see it all in one kind of screen and hear the sounds of it all together, it kind of all, it was suddenly like a light switched on in my head. And I was able to understand how this kind of music was made. And it was a really formative experience for me. I don't know about you. Did you find the same experience? Sure. It was like uh, rebirth and then you figured out, okay, what's this section? Okay. It's an 808. Okay. And um, so from then the learning experience started basically back in the days you couldn't like uh, go to YouTube and learn it on an evening. <laughs> you have to, you had to uh, piece it together um, step by step, but by, by going to the music store and actually twiddling a few knobs. There were no 808 thingies back then, but uh, like the Soxbox and the clone uh, uh, wipe, the, the clone wave had already started. And um, that was also always um, very interesting to see what, what's out there. And um, I know that um, I had a feeling that I would land at some stage at the Dörpfa stage, but I avoided it uh, somehow unconscious, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it was quite uh, more a geeky thing back then, and um, I'm actually not sure which manufacturer uh, 10 years ago existed already, or maybe like 15 years ago, uh, but um, I think Eurac has come a long way, and... Um, I like to be in the place right now. I, I think it's really interesting what you were saying about um, your dad being really involved with the, you know, your development into electronic music. That's a great image with your father helping you build the amplifier. Um, this is something which, you know, you don't. Like I have the same experience with, you know, my my dad helped me with. A lot of my early electronic projects um, like soldering and also knowledge about electronics indirectly even though he, he himself can't stand electronic music as far as i know um he um he his his input was still absolutely valid and a massive part of my development it's great to hear that your dad was helping you out so much it was like um he was really passionate about it, and um, we had like internet uh, in the whole uh, and a network, even a network in our house uh, where I lived with my uh, five siblings. So um, quite a thing he was running back then, and uh, always upgraded to the best connectivity, um, so we could search the internet and um, 
Yeah, if if it was, it wouldn't be uh, for the company. I was training, training, then um, kind of going bankrupt, and he providing with the tools I needed, like a computer, I had even two or three, I guess, um, and the internet. Uh, I wouldn't be able to go that quickly into towards my profession, like the IT stuff, and. Um, also for the early introduction of Linux things, so I um, could like hack into the router um, early and yeah, fix it until it broke and then fix it again. Like <laughs> back in the days, it was really a, a big influence and he was also very open-minded. I remember when I was going to festivals and st still searching myself, living at the parents' house, um, and Sunday morning, I uh, got down to the living room and my parents were there and my mom and my dad were actually listening electronic music from an artist I quite like. It's like Der Dritte Raum um, and it was played on the parties I went to and they got big there and um, they were both like tapping the feet and quite liking it. So it's, uh, it's really nice to have parents that keep in touch. So that's what I try to remind myself. I need to be that flexible when I get older. <laughs> yeah, I understand that as well. I think, you know, I try and use that same ethos myself, but, you know, you probably think you're in touch, but the reality is you're probably, you're probably nowhere near, but you try. Um, yeah, you try. Yeah, it's <laughs> like browsing TikTok with, with my boy uh, in between and like uh, diving in and trying to connect with his young spirit and the thing going on there. and But I can't stand it for very long. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's normal. <laughs> so I guess that takes us to when you started the company with your brother. Um, I, how, long were you, how long were you working with your brother for? We always had uh, our projects. We did the party things, um, open mic parties, and um, recorded all, all the time over the years. Um, but uh, starting the company was like we uh, in 2019. So it was not a good time to start the company actually because of the crisis, but you didn't know <laughs> in front of. And um, uh, it was quite nice to have. We had this balloon um, and we, we did it's what's called great media solutions and we did exactly like that. <laughs> we did, um, uh, we did, so it was a, a company and we did uh, out of home communication. It was like video clips for in-store TV and um, we uh, had a pipeline running that was a good amount automated. So we could um, put out huge amounts of what you see these days. If you look on uh, clips on YouTube, you get this advertisement and that says like, uh, it's in your town now. And the client then needs like uh, one video clip with 500 different town names in them. And that's what we did. And um, But when the crisis struck, um, there were real, uh, a few unfortunate developments and the main thing was like the big clients uh, stores were 
not open, so they didn't need like in-store communication, and so they didn't uh, give us the longer contract for the next twelve months. So um, I was trying to push it further. It was quite a tough time and um, didn't make it. But uh, that was when I met Sasha here, and um, we sat down, my brother, me, and Sasha, and thought about what we are going to do with this room here. It was uh, an office space, actually, and we made it like um, our workshop and installed a jam table because of uh, when we, when the crisis struck, I could, uh, uh, my brother and me got to a friend, and uh, this is Andy, and uh, he provided us with space in his studio where we could go jam once in a week. And um, I started to make music again, and it was also my brother that is more capable, he is way more capable in doing really musical stuff than me, um, that uh, took me with him, and we went to Andy, and since then I got back into music, and uh, it was in, initially was like uh, one or two Volca boxes, like yeah. the bass yeah. synthesizer and the drum thingy, and then um, I started to dive into the tech side of things, like distract from only the musical ma music making, um, but. Uh, put a case together, there was also a Raspberry Pi in it, where I could do some generative stuff and also um, uh, link it to Ableton Live Network uh, uh, link, uh, synch synchronize it with actually the door or the network we had in there. And so I had the music going on in my life again, and we had this uh, former office space made the um, workshop, yeah, ordered like all the things we needed to make modules and we sat down and thought about what we are going to make. And Sasha and I was al were already um, familiar with modular synthesizer somehow, Sasha way more deep into it uh, than I am, but um, that is when we decided, okay, let's, let's try to make our own modules. And we stumbled upon Hagivo's videos. And uh, since I'm very aware of how easy it is with Arduino stuff, I just uh, could make my first module, which was a clock, of course, um, in maybe, maybe a day. And uh, that pushed things quite forward for us. So we installed also the jam table. We have a big table here where our friends come in and we jam a big mixer there. and try to um, stream things also and um, yeah that's that's when we started actually modular or it was the start of modular uh, didn't we didn't call it modular then um, that came later but we had the start in the idea to make our own modules here and uh, Sasha had this big complicated all in one module um, that I'm really proud of. That that was the thing he brought with him when he came in here. Um, he uh, one one day I know he came in. Uh, no, like it was yesterday. He came in and was like he wanted to uh, be a trainee here or have a look first. 
what's going on there because his friend told him, hey, go over there. There's one like-minded uh, checkout. And um, we sat together and it clicked quite uh, fast, I think. And he brought this module and it was amazing what he had put into it, what thought process and how long he was fiddling with it. I couldn't like fiddle with one module weeks and weeks and weeks. So um, I told like, I would want to make simpler modules like Hagivo did them because I know, okay, they, I can make them work actually because it's not too complicated. And um, then we are settled, we are settling on like uh, buying a few of the Hagivo designs other people had put out, and um, we built uh, a lot of these like generative sequencer and a sampler, a quantizer, and uh, oscillator, of course. So, but we were not fully um, uh, we, we didn't like them because they all uh, operate. Most of the clones of Hagibo designs operate in the zero to five DIY voltage range, I say. So it's quite common to have the Arduino Nano and that is uh, zero to five volts without op amps and so on. And um, we try to improve on the modules we had or that didn't work with our setup. So uh, that's when we started to, yeah. Uh, or I stumbled upon, actually, I stumbled upon Michael Zürich. This is a CatSynth repository on GitHub. And uh, by the way, you should ask him to come onto the show. He's a great uh, DIY guy. And um, when I saw the designs, I said, like, hey, look at this. It's uh, the whole process of building with SkyCat and... Um, Manufacturing them is laid out in the repository. There are a few repositories on GitHub regarding DIY UROC stuff that lay out how you are going to from designing in terms of CAD um, to having it delivered to your doorstep. So, and that made it quite easy for us to decide like, okay, let's just order a few and look uh, what will come out and so uh, we ordered the, f uh, the first ones and um, yeah over the time we got to use uh, KiCad more and uh, get to know it even more and try to improve and improve on the modules and make them more like uh, accessible uh, um, so there's other people that uh, don't want to build the modules on breadboard or on protoboard or such stuff. That's not, not my thing, actually. I did a few, but I don't like it. So um, for me, it's way easier to go the KiCad rule, learn from other maker, and uh, try to incorporate um, the things I've learned. That's fantastic. I love the fact that you've taken this idea of making synth modules and the main ethos about it is to spread the word about building and also to add to your current number of people and increase the community. That seems to be the main focus, really, is this focus on community. Yeah, sure. It is like not everybody uh, can. Uh, I see a lot of people are 
liking what Hagibo is doing or even other people. It's not only Hagibo publishing on YouTube or on GitHub, is that there are a lot more people. And um but not everybody is for made for this and not everybody has the time and but there are quite a few people that express even express in the comments like I would buy if it would, would be a kit and so on. And what we try especially is to make the hurdle of DIY, synth DIY, um, so low. I seen other guys in our community from Germany here <laughs> that try to do that as well. More, uh, more like, so you have, um, PCB panel kits for the low entry barrier in terms of money, but they have to be populated. That's what I think is essential. They have to be populated with all the parts um, that are not easy to come by or that are exotic. You know, when the um, starter gets into the thing, they need to know about alpha ports and the cheaper uh, ones from AliExpress and uh, TonkiCons and the IDC power header and so on and so on. The microcontroller or a display and, but these are basic parts that are very common and, um, very, with very good availability. So, um, that makes it quite easy to jump in. It's still not for everyone. We get the questions and I get it that, um, most people prefer like a link where you can have the Amazon link, like put it into, into your basket and you are done. Um, but, um, I think it's, uh, it's a little bit, um, I think you told me that, that, uh, one part was actually in the bomb, not, um, described well. And I, I get it, but I want to, um, not make it too easy, but, um, make the process as streamlined as possible so people can jump in and, um, for, for example, the module um, is quite simple, and um, but what you can make with such quite simple module in terms of uh, software um, is quite good. And um, the entry barrier with the Arduino Nano is so low that even a high school uh, guy or class could use it and make something. You know, um, it's uh, demo democratizing the Eurorack space somehow. And that, as I see, it's like, um, it's a pleasure to get feedback from people um, that we reached with the idea. I think that, yeah, just to let people know, the way that Modulove, um, you guys have basically approached it is to produce PCBs with SMD components pre-soldered and then um, the kind of common components as you've mentioned like the Thonky Kongs, encoders, screen headers etc you source yourself and um, there is a balance you know with that kind of approach because for example like I, you know, even at my amount of modules I've built, you get used to one particular manufacturer's component listing. So, for example, when I'm building a nonlinear circuits PCB panel set, I know which ICs, which headers, which, you know, components, because I've built so many of them, I'm familiar with them. 
But when, when I moved to a, any new manufacturer or producer or maker's PCB panel sets, there is often like a set of codes and conventions and that, I, that I'm not aware of. For example, um, yeah, I think the point I, I made specifically was with the encoders, there are, you know, unbeknownst to me, there are, I suppose, like different depths of thread. There's different size of bodies, especially when you're ordering them from AliExpress. Um, you're now into a realm of potentially like tens of different varieties of, of one type of encoder. Uh, luckily, luckily, I don't, I've worked around my, I actually ended up with an encoder with slightly too short thread. And, and I worked around that. You have to kind of realize, oh, you know, this is a, an encoder, the, the amount of, because what that meant was that I couldn't actually attach it to the front panel, but it's not the end of the world. You know, this isn't going to cause me any serious problems. And worst case scenario, I can desolder it later and put the correct depth of thread on. But I think that, um, you know, that's a small, tiny little issue. But, um, you know, there are other issues like with parts that don't fit or like, you know, other problems that you can come across. But but really, that was part of the joy of the experience for me is that now I've learned that there are these different types of encoders with different thread lengths that I can now add that into my own personal like knowledge bank. So when I go and select the next set, which by the way, are so cheap buying them in this way from directly from China that, you know, it's almost a non-issue because you know, you could get another five for a very cheap amount with the correct thread set. And then you could put those into your storage system to use later. So it's not the end of the world really. Yeah, I might say okay for the for the encoder. Um, yeah, there there should be a straight path, but I did actually the, the same thing. But I order like not like five, but fifty. <laughs> <laughs> so I have I'm searching still for a module that needs like fifty short encoders. So <laughs> we'll see which kind mighty MIDI controller this will be. Um, uh, but yeah, that's uh, if you switch the vendor. It comes with some kind of different modules because the footprints they use are different or what they had around. And that's part of the fun. But um, essentially, we try to make it really, really low uh, barrier entry for everyone and uh, encourage anyone because we have the build videos and the web uploader thingy. It's very not, not to need the software and the sketch and compile it in the library and so on. It, it's way easier. Um, to, so we, uh, try to encourage, uh, guys with like an evening time. Yeah. To jump in. And, um, I guess that is what, um, what is the essence of uh, Hagivo's stuff also? He wrote always like uh, he's the engineer who can't write code and he taught him to write code and um, the code is from a beginner. He's not a total beginner, but um, it is so simple you can read it. If you have any idea from code, you can read it line to line and get an idea these days, you could also ask, like, ChatGPT, please explain it to me. And um, that makes it very appealing to people. And uh, that, that showed the comments we get 
shows me that it, we are actually reaching the people that have like a weekend time, wanted to dive in, programming some little bits, some ideas they had and actually then can make it. Yes, and we also like the fact like uh, a few people bought uh, the modules from China, from JLCPCB, and so they had like for the price they would buy a full kit from us, they can have like five kits, five, five panels and PCBs and uh, run the whole firmware suite uh, in there and they provide uh, nice feedback as well so we uh, are developing it further and <laughs> we just said a few uh, days back like we have a, a, a micro um, a micro Europi. You know, some, it's, it has a nano, uh, Arduino nano still, but you can make quite a few things. And, uh, yeah, I like to push it that way and, uh, hope we reach, um, many people that are intended to jump into DIY and feared because of complexity. I know. Um, I certainly considered recently, I've got, um, I'm doing a workshop. I'm taking a workshop at a local, community and i was thinking um you know something like your sync mod lfo because of the low number of components would be ideal in a workshop environment because in reality with the correct tools and anyone i i mean i believe that you should be able to solder that together in an hour anyone should maybe if they had all the components i i you know obviously that's m myself talking um i've i found that sync mod lfo very satisfying in terms of a having the i mean obviously there's the component purchase which is a pre-planning kind of phase but once you have it all available the just to give the audience an idea once you receive like a pcb panel with like a little sheet with a qr code on it and you use your phone take the photo you know offer the camera up and follow the link and then you're presented like a central point for that particular module with different with like basically an ibom firmware page video and and some quick start information for each of them quick start is really good it just kind of gives you a high level overview of that modules build the video is obviously a very in-depth um step by step showing every component of the build and uh and um as linda said the um the the actual firmware is there is no need to have any knowledge really about arduino at all you just literally connect a usb cable to your computer um and then the web page, web browser itself provides that functionality of loading the code on so it's it's all very slick and it's very well executed i found it really good fun and you know very rewarding to build thank you that's exactly exactly what i uh, like about the module i can make it like in 20 minutes maybe 10 <laughs> it's so simple and a beginner shot uh, be able to make it work in uh, four hours, no problem. Also with like measuring um, the thing and putting putting it to use, then it's the first gem has to be included. So <laughs> I guess um, that's what is really 
really appealing. Also, I know that um, when you start out with the idea to get to code some bits and you stumble upon ornament and crime and other Euro Pie things, there are the established developers with tens of years of experience are already in there. So the code base tends to be complexer because they have like hardware abstraction layer thingies and um, it's very object-oriented code and uh, the beginner might not be able to wrap his head around um, as I I need way more time to dive into the code basin and it, it makes it not uh, easy for me to change things you know and I, I like to I like to hack my hardware that's the hardware I built the hardware I bought I like to hack it who who doesn't like a free software update for the oscillator he bought like years and years ago everybody loves it and it's free so um, that makes me smile so um Having the simple modules to uh, for the users to expand is very, very, uh, very much the thing we want to to, uh, to occur. We want to encourage people get your hands dirty, write a few lines. If it doesn't work, it's simple. Poke you through the way and um, yeah, really try it. I, I'm very keen to have actually younger students or um, roll these out in the educational context, but not to sure um, how that uh, is going to manifest or what the, what you could do actually with like just uh, until now we just have the LFO, the scope and the arithmetic sequencer, trigger sequencer, so it's nothing that makes noise. So <laughs> we'll see. I have a few ideas uh, in mind and uh, also a few contacts, uh, people that got in context if we uh, might think, uh, might do workshops uh, for the, in the schools, um, but uh, nothing ready yet. Yeah, definitely kind of like, like I mentioned to you before, I can see people really benefiting from a workshop with you guys, mainly because, you know, that concept that you've got of having something that can be produced and then the, you know, the person doing the workshop has got that satisfaction of, you know, maybe it's the first time they've ever soldered something together and to have something that's so you know, concise and has all of the components that they want and they can actually functionally use it and understand it, it was very, very, very rewarding for them. Yeah, um, all rack modules tend to be like, um, it's come quite far. So every module, um, uh, almost every module offers lots of functionality because rack space is it, so, so sparse. Um, you need to offer your clients with modules that have multi-use and um, that makes them deep and multi-use, but you have also the people that like one knob, one function. So you need to have a balance. And since, since these things have microcontrollers in them anyways, uh, the idea to expand on the simple functionality software-wise is always close. And um, I like... I more like um, modules that uh, are like performative in the one knob, one function. 
term. But um, I also like, from the nerd side of things, uh, really like um, Europie and ornament and crime and all the soft software, mutable instruments uh, especially. But I just came a little bit late to the show. So mutable instrument is all a little bit um, pri on the pricey side these days and uh, not too sure which Kelowna, um is the most, uh, it's the one I want to buy from. Um, I will definitely buy a few things. I, I must admit I have this um, Beringer Brains module. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Uh, I, I actually bought it before I read deeper into the whole thingy and um, so that's why I don't tell anyone. I own bearing as well. Uh, on bearing one thing, yeah, sorry to cut off road, the power module they deliver. That's um, uh, really a favor for the Eurorack community because I think it takes the burden from the entry guy, from the beginner, to select uh, a power supply that's so important for your rack, the power um, module, um, from all the different shiny Eurorack manufacturers. If you have the Behringer thing, you know, like, okay, they probably gonna sell like 10,000 of these at least. It's going to work, I guess. And that's what I like Behringer for, making it easy for the entry, but, um, I didn't like the Beringer brains getting the f an other firmware update than the one Emily provided recently. So it's a no-brainer for me to, at some stage, get rid of it. <laughs> no, I understand. I do understand the benefit of a company like Behringer providing a low cost to entry into Eurorack because it is very mentally kind of challenging when you're first presented with this concept of oh you know i, I want to what i want to do is play with all the shiny modules i don't care about the case just i want a case um but but it's not as simple as that you have to care about the case because you know without the case you're not going to have a eurorack system so it's kind of like a double-edged sword in that way um, as synth DIY uh, is especially, you, the idea, of course, from Sasha and me was like, okay, we know an idea and we have interest and it's like low-hanging fruits, just pick a few of them and see what's happening then. I always uh, tell like it's like fingerübung, it's when you twist your fingers um, in Germany. And um, there were a few um, points during the endeavor where I thought like, Okay, you should just have bought a big case from a manufacturer and pick like a few modules for like a sum of thousand euros and be quite happy with it. But uh, then I would have missed the uh, whole other side. I'm, I'm not um, playing constantly music with my case um, because I'm more like the tech nerd and like to tinker a lot, but I enjoy it uh, a lot. And um, if I play, I'm sucked so deep into it. And uh, that's why I need quite some time, some space to be with my modular. My modular is also in some kind of fluid um, state, so it's not finished, <laughs> which instrument 
DIY instrument is really finished, but um, I like to um, tinker the most and um, have the time of my life when I play my modular just for me or show my boy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, going back to what you were saying about people starting in Synth DIY, if if you were to give any advice to a newcomer in Synth DIY, what, what would that be? Go with a few kits. Go with a few kits first, so you save yourself from buying lots of parts you actually don't need. And then educate yourself. Uh, don't do the typical thing, going out of control, browsing um, uh, Amazon or even AliExpress. Um, make wise decisions. In the URAG world, often it's said like, um, when you buy your first case, you need to go big. But what you really need to do is sit down and think what you want to achieve in the first place. It's not going, uh, not, not what you want to achieve in the end, but um, what you really want to do short term with it and then go from that. Don't buy um, like one row of 84 HP. That's probably not going to be enough. I guess, but um, don't follow strictly the rule for going big because uh, uh, there are so many different goals that people want to achieve with modular and they are totally valid um, that you need to prepare a little bit because tools are not cheap and, and time is not cheap. The most valuable thing that people have is probably the time they have. When you are young, you have lots of time, I guess. And then just, if you are really young, then jump in and <laughs> go wide. But um, for, I think uh, really the people need to do the homework first because that, that is actually what I just skimmed a little bit. I uh, threw myself in and was fascinated and that's where my drive comes from. And... Um, on the way, I probably made the mistakes most of the people do, like buying wrong parts and, um, you know, so you accumulate quite a lot of stuff in the end you probably don't need or never need. And that's also not too environmental friendly. <laughs> the parts are cheap, but um, you have... Uh, quite a bit of hassle around you to deal with and like organizing the parts and so on. Yeah. So I think uh, my advice is really um, buy uh, only the parts you really need. Make your homework first. Start with one or two simple modules like, you know, the music thing startup. That's a quite perfect starter module. Has a clock and a mixer in there, so that's meant to be for a starter. And um, after that, uh, and also what I've heard is like, don't buy the cheapest soldering iron. That's not going to work. And um, the quality solder and um, maybe like a thirty bucks, fifty bucks ish soldering iron um, should work. And I like chisel tip. Yeah. Good. Works for me the best. And um, yeah, that's it, basically. 
That's fantastic. A real wide spectrum of advice there. Thank you. So, yeah, no, it's really good. Um, definitely going to be using that as the little teaser for this episode. It was really fantastic to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Um, Pleasure. So, the next question is really around the show and tell uh, item. So, um, it's a special segment where I asked the guests to bring anything they like to the podcast to talk about it. If you could be really descriptive about what you've brought, because people are going to be listening to this and not necessarily be able to see the screen. So um, over to you. It's an easy one for me because, as I uh, or most often tell, it's not one module. I was thinking about it, and I have a few things I quite like. And also in the pipeline, I quite like to teaser, but uh, uh, give you a teaser. But uh, what I most like is the community thing we have made happen here. The, when um, there was no modular yet, there was only a project uh, we had in our IT. It was called Give It a Name. And it took forever. Sometimes if you try to come up with, it was like 100 entries in this list. So, um you never come up with actually something. And I know in January, right after uh, New Year, I was like, okay, fuck it, module love it is. <laughs> Excuse. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> and um, so I sat down and uh, followed like the January thingy. I think Cuckoo. Yeah. It, it, uh, did it uh, the first year. And... Um, I just jammed and tried to record. In the end, it was like one, two, three, four recordings and one or two might have been published. And, but it was the start of the whole thing. I was, I had, uh, buried the old company and got to work with new spirit and inspiration in this lab was totally on my own here. And that is what is what the space is especially good for. It's a little bit. Far, a little bit uh, beside from the city. I go here, have my flow, and uh, I played quite some music. And um, then uh, the mood was there to actually let it manifestate. And um, then the people came in. So it was like it, it, was, it was a real gradually scaling and <laughs> quite um, a long distance. It took like from January until April, then Kevin joins the whole thing and um, then we really got some wind in our backs because of more people bringing more ideas, pushing each other. Kevin was the last one joining in and he brought the whole visual side of things. He's like a 3D artist, a motion designer and um, he just discovered touch designer, so so he always comes up with a new idea. He wants video mapping on an object or so on, and um, he also does renderings um, for our modules. So I'm really thankful how this thing um, came to life, how it uh, developed until now. Also. Uh, it didn't meet my whole expectations because I'm so impatient. Um, I 
looked at the numbers and said always to the guys, Sasha and Kevin, a few years younger than me, and I tell them, okay, it's not going to work out if it's that way. And um, But uh, every quarter year I sit down and look at the numbers and uh, connect to my gut. And uh, until now they say, okay, it's quite of an expensive hobby. <laughs> but... Um, Uh, it's come out so nicely and uh, we have such a good thing running with the community here. We're sharing the space now with a producer and an audio engineer as well and there are so much opportunities um, as well with our neighbors here that are video guys, a music studio and we uh, kicked off a few nice events here in the Poite, Creative Poite location, and um, that made me quite happy. Um, I would not be able to push it until now, um, because uh, I didn't want to spend the money, cost a lot of money, and um, the people um, jumped in and made it possible, and we also developed this modular label a few modules we have out and um, it's like uh, really small. We um, <laughs> don't sell a lot of these modules. The people might think like we are rich, <laughs> but we are not. And um, But it's like uh, milestones. I told the guys, okay, uh, when the first modules went out, we were like, woohoo, uh, finally people are going to appreciate these, and they did, and we get lots of feedback, but it also means a lot of work, but um, we honed our skills and uh, made the whole thing even more round, so we can now, I can now uh, relax a little bit and uh, wait until the next quarter year and say, okay, how we are going to run this. Um, I don't have to spend my money on the land here because Modulav is uh, providing part of it and uh, we have lots of fun with people coming in, making workshops, doing their first steps, dipping their toes really only in the Eurag world. And um, there are uh, quite a few that did it already so that we are planning to... Um, make bigger workshops in the next year and roll it out in a little bit uh, bigger fashion. So I'm really grateful. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you, Kevin. Um, thank you, whole Kreativgesellschaft, uh, Kreative Etage, Beutestraße. Um, you guys rock. That's a fantastic story. I love the focus on community. I love how important this has become. Something, you know, like You've explained the whole journey in terms of, you know, the ups and downs and actually finding yourself in the center of it all as part of a community hub for people who want to experience the same things. This this joined up community through, you know, bringing something into the world, something you've created yourself, the satisfaction, the reward of that and spreading that message to other people through community. I think that really sums up the choice of the name so perfectly, Modulove. Yes, it is a good choice, actually. It's not the most sounding thing or the most in thing. Um, 
Uh, it's also not what the other guys had in mind, <laughs> but I did it. That was the whole point. At some stage, I just said, like, that's um, how we approach publishing things, or I want to approach publishing things to YouTube and uh, other communities as well. Um, but this is quite, uh, it's still a progress, a process. But I think one should, in, in um, software circles, it's called like publish early, publish often, because else nobody will know. And that comes also from the open source uh, side of things. And I like to publish casually. Not everybody thinks then, okay, nay, no, it has to be 4K and it has to be made with a light, 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 uh, a light, with a nice lens and so on and so on. And you hide away from the fact that you actually don't need gear or much gear. You need to do it. And that's funny, funny point. We arrived. We always asked, like, uh, do you have a video for your module that shows how it sounds or how it operates and uh, we don't because we are just at this hurdle to jump in and make it and we uh, over it was overthinking it before it's just as simple as make good light um, point your camera at your um, subject and um, yeah shoot on put uh, headphones on and have a mic handy so <laughs> a mic near your mouse and then go on and get comfortable with it i couldn't agree more i mean that's the exact ethos that i've used with this podcast and i, I believe in iterative small improvements over time um i'm and i think that the the idea that you're going to get something right first time is kind of a little bit naive in the scheme of things um and i think too often people use that as a reason not to start a venture because they've got this kind of expectation which is all the way up here really high and and they and they feel that what they're going to offer is maybe just scraping in at the bottom but however if the content of what you're doing is right it really doesn't matter so much about the presentation initially it's really about the spirit and i think that you know certainly with your endeavor with the the community-based approach that is what's shining through when i'm listening to you talk yeah it is really um it's funny though because i see myself more of like the quiet guy on the side the nerd back in school we were really the nerds and um but i like people and um uh, i like to be around people uh, not too much that I not enjoy being, I could be like 10 days without seeing anybody that was put me. I'm, uh, a husband and a father. So time is really, <laughs> really a sparse resource. And I could do that. That's my whole life. And that is actually where I draw as inspiration from. Sounds funny, but, um, I like the silence and that is really, um, uh, funny that I find myself now running this community thing, although um, I like to be on my own so much. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm passionate and when I'm alone, I make progress. But that's not where the only inspiration comes from. You need uh, a muse 
somehow. And uh, so I learned that uh, I arrived here to, and uh, everything went, got, got uh, uh, haywire <laughs> and everything uh, broke during the crisis. And so I sat here alone, but um, one friend said that, came by and said like, ah, I think you only need to know the right people. And that was kind of an epiphany, of course. I knew before, okay, I need likewise people, but how much it would influence the whole thing here, I was not uh, even close imagining uh, what, what, what this will gonna change. And that was when um, Sasha came in. What was, is he a big part? of the whole thing and uh, I must admit I fear a little bit when he's going to leave for Australia how we are going to tackle to um, improve uh, the thing even further I'm, I'm keen how this will work out and um, yeah I'm keen also uh, because Sasha is going to come back for Super Booth next year so I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys all over there <laughs> oh yeah i mean for me this you know when i'm listening to you talking about community and how important individuals are i feel through this process of doing the podcast i've been able to you know listen to your story get to know you um in in a way where you know i, under, I understand your journey and like, as a person i really connect with what you're saying and um you know without this podcast or like being able to hear people talk i wouldn't be able to understand so passionately how you arrive at this point and so when i do get to meet you guys in berlin next year hopefully fingers crossed that i can make it um it will be like really special because um you know and i'm sure that through a similar method you'll be able to keep in touch with sasha as he moves back to um to australia yeah, um, I think uh, it's the, the community you doing the podcast or like Nopsel doing the thing here. We are trading modules and um, getting the boutique brands or the smaller one-man shows uh, more known and pushing the, the thing further um, is a big part. And I really look forward to it's a part, big part of Eurac, um because there were lots of makers before Modular, sure, and um, it's just our modules um, have these shiny designs, so they stand really out. And that was one thing I was uh, lacking. And these days, I think, uh, being it's a community thing as it is, so um, supportive community wherever you go in DIY, uh, projects. The people are very kind and um, lend a hand. Um, uh, I think the future will be probably lots of um, collabos in terms of um, let the other guy do what he's best at and we do what we are doing the best. So um, looking forward to this and um, yeah. In the, in the start of this year I was like Thinking, okay, it's, it's go, is modular going to last? And I was not so sure. But these days I'm uh, quite confident that we um, can have some sort of a little booth at Super Booth and uh, at least have our jams there. 
uh, when we went to Zuberus, we had uh, such a little, um, little jam in the park in front of the uh, FEZ. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys over there and having some fun. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, we touched on this earlier, um, but I just wanted to like, ask this question of people. And, I, you know, I think we've kind of got a flavor of it. But outside of Synth DIY, what inspires you as a person? What inspires me as a person? Um, almost everything that is around me. It's um, I can't say it really what it is, but it comes out of my daily life. Um, sometimes I need some me time. I go to our garden and do some work there, cut the grass or the bushes or so on, and that's where I reload. And um, also my little boy, of course, um, getting in touch with skateboarding again, like I used to do in my childhood. It's quite a nice thing or doing things and feeling how you must have felt like, you know, you get this memory muscle kicking in when you are in, uh, going swimming and jumping off the big tower for like ages again and <laughs> so on. That's what me inspires. And also, um, um, it's um, being alone. I need uh, my space and that is what I get the least. So when I am alone, you know, there are um, a few um, spots of the year when my wife will leave with the boy and then I need like two days to calm down and then magic happens. When that, this happened the last summer, I guess, that was really when I found the love for the uh, modules um, again to program microcontroller and jump into it. I find it um, quite um, astonishing how much one can do if the right mood and time um, comes together. You know, it's I amazed, find myself amazed by what I can do. Didn't know. I could do this before. <laughs> Sometimes this strikes me, and um, often I get the inspiration from um, the silence and also from other people, like especially like-minded, like Sasha and Kevin. They we, we are pinging ideas constantly back and forth on our chat group or whatever. That's great. I mean, that's the real like theme of this chat has been how important other people have been to the kind of support that you've had in order to find the kind of strength to carry forward with Modulove. And also kind of it's become like a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways because you found these people and they've given back to you, um, which is basically given you a lot of strength and also kind of reflected how important community is to you. Sure it is. Um, I find I did a few things with uh, a few friends doing startups in my younger years. And my idea is if things don't work out, um, you 
or at least for me it was that way, that you are not going to jump in the next big adventure with the next guy who's like, hey, I'm going to run a company, you need to do the IT and it's going to uh, be not much for the next years, but I have the idea and the vision, you have to do it. Um, nope, it won't happen if you um, did it a few times. So I find it amazing that um, younger people do it. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it um, if I were for my uh, knowledge or my experiences right now. And um, yeah, that is uh, quite amazing. Also, how much more young people that have no family and not much uh, have time, essentially, free time, um, what they can do in short time. That, that really is amazing. And uh, Sasha did like <laughs> learning like modular um, circuitry in no time. And um, Kevin is also very good with his uh, 3D stuff. And uh, that's uh, quite nice to see. Um, I often find myself thinking about hmm, what do you actually do at Modular? <laughs> <laughs> but it's of course the little pieces in between and yeah, holding the whole thing together. Um, yeah. How about in the Synth DIY community and well, and also within? Is there anyone out there in the Synth DIY community? makers builders or musicians um that you find particularly inspirational inspirational in the space um lots of actually uh, i'm not so uh, much of a um, names guy i don't i don't remember uh, back in the day i was djing it was a terrible experience to not know <laughs> how the track is called <laughs> but i failed it um i like uh the most guys who were mentioned and uh, you had on the show already in terms of uh, modular stuff, it was like me build and um, of course it's Emily from Mutable Instruments and um, uh, lots of inspiration there. Um, I find quite great inspiration from my brother. Also, we we gone through quite a tough time. Um, I <laughs> can connect with it uh, again and uh, find it quite um, quite a nice inspiration through all the days. And of course, I know him the longest. Yeah, and uh, of course, it's um, the people who are close to me. It's um, Sasha, Kevin, um, also Felix from Concord Studios who gave me lots of advice in the darkest hours. <laughs> um, that's uh, also our neighbors, um, the graphic uh, department, and also the motion video department. This is Gregor and Silvia and all the good people. Um, I, yeah, I need to thank so many people. I most often forgot uh, to thank you and uh, basically um, the guy I want to thank is uh, Michael Zürich. We only met uh, in the inter on the internet before Superboost and we got to know him and he's really a, a nice guy and uh, we like to work uh, in a much closer fashion together. When you, need, when you um, get people to know, being it on a podcast or 
in real life even um, you make another kind of bond if you are uh, instead of being on, on the chat only or in the forums and so on and um, yeah I quite I quite like the I'm uh, glad I had so many people support me and the thing during the years um, that was uh, the tough times and yeah thank you all guys you are amazing that's perfect thank you so much Linus I really appreciate your time today I think that's everything um, on the chat today um, unless there's anything else that you'd like to say thank you for having me it was a pleasure. Really enjoy being on the show. It's the 20s, you told. It's quite nice. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, I encourage people that uh, uh, to give themselves uh, a nudge uh, to go onto the show. I needed that. And quite a few people told me you need to tell the story or others might want to hear it. And I wasn't so sure about that. And um, thank you, Gareth, for having me and making it this such a pleasure. No, it's, it makes sense. And, you know, we had a little chat before you came on and I was really captivated by just the honesty and the kind of, like I said earlier, like the connection I had with parts of your story was similar to my own experience. And it's really nice to hear about someone um, out there in the world who's um, so passionate about what they've done and, you know, like able to communicate so clearly, especially not in your own language. So um, thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I thought like, okay, if you do the podcast, why not just let the people know the truth and the whole thing about it. Um, <laughs> hope you uh, enjoyed it and uh, hope to talk, uh, have another opportunity to talk. Sure. Somewhere. Okay, I'm going to sum up now. As I said at the start, thanks to all of you who have watched, commented and liked the podcast we've had so far. I'd really appreciate it if you give this episode a like and consider subscribing as it really helps to grow the show. See you guys next time. Cheers.